Welcome to The Halfling. I'm your host, Jaron Pack, and you're listening to Episode 2, Glorfindel Makes a Comeback. Last time we left off on a bit of a cliffhanger, pun definitely intended, we opened up our series on Glorfindel by talking about the elven hero's beginnings during the Years of the Trees. From there, we traced his path as he follows his king into exile and holds up with him in the hidden city of Gondolin. When that city is destroyed toward the end of the First Age, Glorfindel plays a huge part in its defense. During that epic last stand, he goes down in a glorious and a little bit insane fight with a Balrog up on a mountain while he tries to protect refugees from the city as they escape through the pass. Now, at this point, Glorfindel's resume is already resplendent with glory. He's a cool character with a noble heart, a fearless disposition, and a knack for hitting Balrogs right where it counts. But he's also dead. And that's not a mislead either. His elven body is broken as he topples over the cliff with the Balrog, and while it's recovered by the Lord of the Eagles, it's just for the sake of giving it a burial. So where does the story go from here? Well, that's what we're going to find out today. Let's get started, shall we? To properly understand what happens to Glorfindel next, we need to do another little information dump in an area of Tolkien's lore that is pretty light on, well, coherent information. I'm talking about elvish immortality. Buckle in. The next few minutes are going to get a little bit confusing. See, in the realm of Middle-earth, Tolkien left a lot of things pretty vague. Men, for instance, are given the gift of death. And I'm not being cheeky, either. Tolkien goes to great lengths in the Silmarillion and elsewhere to explain that men are given the ability to die and leave the circles of the world as a gift. I'm serious, it's a clear, differentiating factor that sets them apart from the elves, dwarves, and other Middle-earth-bound creatures. In the Silmarillion, it says that, quote, The hearts of men should seek beyond the world and should find no rest therein. End quote. It also adds that, quote, It is one with this gift of freedom that the children of men dwell only a short space in the world alive, and are not bound to it, and depart soon whither the elves know not. While the fate of men is worthy of its own podcast episode, though, today we're interested in the elvish side of the equation. The Silmarillion also addresses this, saying that, compared to men, the elves remain until the end of days. A little later, the book also says that, The elves die not till the world dies, unless they are slain or waste in grief. Sorry for all the quotes here. I just want to set the stage. One more for you. It also says that, Dying, they are gathered to the halls of Mandos in Valinor, whence they may in time return. Okay, so Valinor is the area in the Blessed Realm to the west of Middle Earth, where the Valar, the angelic guardians of the world, rule. I know that this is a little bit much, but I'm not going to break everything down for you because, honestly, that's a whole other story in and of itself. Right now, what we're interested in is the fact that we're looking to the west on the map, uh, towards the immortal chunk of land that is generally filled with life-giving things, like the two trees that we talked about in the last episode. It's the same area that Frodo and Bilbo and Gandalf and all of the rest of them sail to at the end of The Return of the King. It's, it's always associated with immortality and life, all of the great stuff you crave when you're alive on the earth. But it also has one special area dedicated to a powerful yet morbid fellow named Nemo. 
Nemo is one of the Valar and is commonly referred to as the Doomsman of the Valar. The name Nemo means judge, which tells you a bit about his moody, brooding personality, but if you read the Silmarillion, you won't find that name mentioned much. That's because he typically goes by the name of his dwelling, Mandos. The Halls of Mandos, also known as the Halls of Awaiting and the Houses of the Dead, is the official holding chamber for the spirits of elves, whose corporeal bodies have perished. That's basically a fancy way of saying, when elvish bodies die, their spirits go to Mandos, where they recuperate and wait, hopefully to be given new physical forms at some point along the way. So, you have men who die and leave the circles of the world, and then the elves who die and their spirits remain in the circles of the world, and at certain points are even given new bodies. In the book The Peoples of Middle-Earth, Tolkien breaks down how this affects Glorfindel after he dies in the duel with the Balrog. The professor explains that after his death, Glorfindel's spirit would have gone straight to the halls of Mandos to wait for his judgment. After that, he would continue to wait there until Mandos released him, adding that elves were destined to be immortal and, sorry for another quote here, but, quote, their death, by injury to their bodies so severe that it could not be healed, and the disembodiment of their spirits was an unnatural and grievous matter. It was therefore the duty of the Valar, by command of the One, to restore them to incarnate life if they desired it. End quote. To be fair, Tolkien also adds the caveat that this process could be delayed by Mandos if an elf had acted evilly and refused to repent and change their ways. If you ask me, though, if there was ever an elf that could get out of the halls of Mandos based on good previous behavior, it has to be Glorfindel. I can't imagine too many elves showed up and were able to say that they, you know, saved a bunch of refugees by single-handedly taking down a Balrog at their own expense. But there is one little hang-up to Glorfindel making a bodily return. I'm talking about the fact that the Noldor elves, remember they had rebelled and left the Valar to go chase down Morgoth, they were not allowed to return in bodily form to the Blessed Realm. But Tolkien points out that the Valar could make exceptions to their own rules, much like the author himself. And Glorfindel's deeds were so admirable that he becomes a singular case by being allowed to resume an earthly form. Anyway, Tolkien's official account suggests that Glorfindel was likely purged of any guilt in relation to the rebellion of the Noldor, and then released and restored into an incarnate person once again. After this very unique event, Glorfindel likely spends a good chunk of time hanging out in the Blessed Realm, resting away from the troubles of Middle-earth. And you know what? He earned it. Good job, man. But of course, we all know this isn't the end of the line for Glorfindel. Eventually, his doom comes a knockin'. See, in his resurrected form, Tolkien makes it clear that Glorfindel takes on a new level of spiritual power and authority. This makes him such an important individual that he's eventually called back into action to resist an evil that has crept into the picture when no one was looking. The new Dark Lord, Sauron. Tolkien goes back and forth about when Glorfindel must have returned to Middle-earth. At first he places this event a thousand years into the Third Age. In this initial narrative, he arrives with Gandalf as a helper to the wizard. Now, over time, Glorfindel's connection to the mission of the wizard remains, but eventually the author dials back the elf's arrival to around the middle of the Second Age. Interestingly, he says the most likely time is around 1600 years into that age, which also happens to coincide with the exact time when the One Ring was first forged. Talk about a welcoming way to arrive back on the continent. Once he gets back to the mainland, 
Glorfindel gets to work right away. At this point, we're in some of the haziest portions of Tolkien's writings, the stuff that his son, Christopher Tolkien, recorded in scraps and various drafts. Based on the little pieces of information that we have to go on, it seems that Tolkien meant to have Glorfindel arrive during the Second Age as a support for the elvish leaders Gilgalad and Elrond. Yes, that Elrond. There's also a little note that Christopher found where his father mentions that, quote, Though not mentioned in the annals recording Sauron's defeat, he played a notable and heroic part in the war. End quote. So, while Tolkien never got around to filling in Glorfindel's activity during the Second Age, it would appear that the elf was meant to have yet another essential role in the proceedings. This is a fun bit of lore to speculate on, but it's also great news for one specific entity. Amazon Studios. If you'll allow me to quickly jog all of our memories, Amazon's upcoming show is going to focus on the events of the Second Age. Now, at the time of recording this, it's still not clear where in that age we're going to focus, because there's talk about it being early in the age, before Sauron has arisen, there's other talk about Isildur being a main character, which would mean it would be three to 3,500 years later in the age. The speculation is everywhere. But the one thing they have made clear is that it's going to be in the Second Age. Oh, and hey, look at that! Tolkien always meant to have his popular yet ignored character Glorfindel have a heftier role in the Second Age. In other words, Glorfindel is a very underdeveloped character in a chunk of the story that is virtually unwritten. This leaves the doors open to plenty of artistic license if the studio decides to work him into the plot. In fact, when the studio released its first series image in early August of 2021, Many fans thought the unidentified character in the foreground of the shot might actually be Glorfindel in the Blessed Realm during the Years of the Trees. Now, we won't know if that's true for quite a while now, and if you're listening to this further down the road, maybe you're laughing at me, but truth be told, it's that very speculation that has us digging so far into the elf's history right now. So, nice job with the marketing on that one, Amazon. Alright, at this point, we've covered a lot of pretty vague ground when it comes to Glorfindel's reincarnation. But I felt it was important, since this isn't the kind of thing that you see happening in Middle-earth on a regular basis. Sure, some elves are seen dying and then taking new forms from time to time, but you never see a hero go down in flames like Glorfindel does, only to see him reincarnated stronger than ever, and then sent back into the thick of things. It's all very one-off. In fact, the Elf Lord's trajectory is unique in the entire history of Middle-earth. And the thing is, the entire event is something that was partly done on purpose and partly by accident. At least, as far as Tolkien was concerned. See, the author was a master of connecting the dots within his world. He would spell something one way and then change the spelling later, and then defend both versions, saying they were both correct because of some linguistic difference within his universe. The man was adept at making things flow together, and Glorfindel is no exception. The truth is, if you read between the lines a bit, it really does appear that the Balrog dueling Glorfindel from the First Age and the reincarnated version that we meet in The Lord of the Rings were not originally supposed to be the same character. Quite the opposite, in fact. In the Peoples of Middle-Earth book, it clearly indicates that Tolkien himself grappled with how to make the two character arcs make sense. He explains that Glorfindel was around in his writing from the beginning, but when he went to write The Lord of the Rings, the author randomly used the same name adding that it, quote, escaped reconsideration in the final published form of The Lord of the Rings, end quote. Oops. 
So when you step back, it would appear that Tolkien used the name as a placeholder and then forgot to swap it out in the final version. Yeah. He adds that it's an unfortunate occurrence since the name doesn't line up with the elven languages spoken at the time. And for those of you who are not aware, Tolkien was a philologist, that is, even beyond a linguist. The man could never accept the little inconsistencies in language like that. So it would appear that this tale of two Glorfindels scenario crept up on Tolkien and left him scrambling to connect them years later. Rather than simply writing it off as an oversight, though, the author found a way to connect them through the reincarnation and resending of the character during the second age that we just talked about. Now, this fascinating connection is part of what I love about Tolkien. No matter how much he wrote, the man always found a way to get everything to flow together into a single narrative. And the thing is, Glorfindel's story doesn't even stop here. Heck, we're barely halfway through it. After writing the character into the Fellowship of the Ring, Tolkien charged right ahead and added him into the appendix material that he includes at the end of The Return of the King as well. This fills in a bit more information regarding the hero's activities during the earlier half of the Third Age, which is where we'll pick things up next week. From there, we'll run through Glorfindel's role in The Lord of the Rings and then trace the last few hints and nuggets of information down to the end of his story. Alright, that's it for now. Until next time, friends. This episode is brought to you by, well, me. And despite the fact that I've memorized whole chunks of Tolkien at this point, it still takes quite a bit of work to pull each of these together. There are also some recurring expenses that come with keeping the show on the air. So, if you're interested in helping, I set up a way to toss a few dollars toward covering costs. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash thehalfling. That's buymeacoffee.com slash thehalfling. If you make a donation, thank you very much. And either way, I hope you'll stick around for all the fun. All right, that's it for now. Until next time, friends.